0: Hi there, welcome to Mosaic Intercultural Church, coming to you from London, Ontario, Canada. My name is Andrew Karam, and I'm the Executive Director and Pastor of Mosaic, and I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Mosaic, you can find us online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com. Praise the Lord. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to reflect on 1 John chapter 1 together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for each person who is with us today. Uh, In each home, Lord, where people are watching and worshiping together. Jesus, what we're actually watching uh, is you. We are looking for you. We are worshiping you, Lord Jesus, who died and rose again, whom we have just confessed. And Lord, I pray that you would hide each of us in you. Thank you that in you we have union, relationship, intimacy, communion with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you speak to each person who is here tonight and for each person that will see this message in the future? God, we trust you for that. I pray, Lord Jesus, would you hide me in you? Would you fill me? Would you particularly fill me with your joy, I pray, knowing that you are eternal joy and beauty, one God, with the Father and the Spirit, forever and ever. Amen. Well, I am really excited to be... uh, starting this first, this journey through First John together. Um, for those of you who don't know, the way in which we so, we select our scriptures each week is that Gloria Jones, who's one of our elders, uh, she, she looks through uh, what's called the lectionary. And the lectionary is a database of scriptures that are lined up for each date of the year. And it's a global database. It's a, it's a Mode of uh, worship. It's a it's a database for the global church, and so we use the lectionary as an expression of solidarity to say that we are with our brothers and sisters around the whole world, and we are together with them worshiping Jesus and listening to the word of God as God speaks to His people all around the world. And uh, one of the, so the, the the lectionary is organized according to what we call the church calendar which is an idea that I absolutely love. Um, for for those of you who did not grow up in churches that follow the church calendar, uh, it might be new to you. And in fact, I did not grow up in a church that followed the church calendar. And, and so one of the funny things about growing up in, in the kind of church that I grew up in was that you know on Mother's Day, there was like a Mother's Day sermon. And on uh, Father's Day, there might be some, some comments about fathers, right? And then... Um, you kind of follow through and you do Christmas time. And, and then Easter would always be a big deal, but uh, only a little bit, like only a bit of Easter, right? Like maybe Easter Sunday, Good Friday, that kind of thing. And Palm Sunday. We do Palm Sunday. That was a big deal, too. But it's kind of weird, right, that Mother's Day would be a major focal point for the church because my understanding is that Mother's Day, I mean, we all love our mothers. we got to honor our mothers. But Mother's Day, if I understand it correctly, is a marketing ploy buy Hallmark cards. Like, let's make a holiday and let's celebrate mothers and people will buy cards and buy flowers to honor their mothers, which is great, makes a lot of money for Hallmark and for florists and mothers might be happy, but how does that help the church worship God and know God? Not so sure. But this idea of a church calendar, like ordering your whole year around the life of Jesus Christ, Now, that makes sense to me. And I'll tell you why that makes sense. Because Jesus Christ is life. He is the life, the eternal life of the Father revealed to us in human flesh. He is the living God. And He is the one in whom we have fellowship or communion with the Father, which is what the passage we're going to talk about tonight talks about. And so Jesus is our life. So why not just pattern every week of our year after the life of Jesus? That makes sense. So then each week of the year becomes about walking more deeply with Jesus, living life more full of the presence of Jesus, patterning our lives on the life of Jesus. And the the church calendar actually starts, and and you might know this if you've been around Mosaic for a while because we do talk about it uh, in passing at that time. It starts at the end of November, beginning of December, four weeks before the Feast of Christmas. It starts with the Feast of Advent, when we look forward to Jesus coming again, and we remember his coming in the flesh um, 2,000 years ago, when he was born of the Virgin Mary. Then we proceed through Christmas, and then after Christmas, we have the The Feast of Epiphany, which is a time when we celebrate that the gospel is for all nations. we remember that the wise men, the magi from the east, came to worship the Lord Jesus, and he was revealed before the nations. And we know the gospel is for all nations. Isn't that great? And then we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, and we, we celebrate the transfiguration of Jesus. And then we enter into the season of Lent which is a fasting time before Easter. And this year, we didn't do, I didn't do a great job of leading us through Lent, and for that I do apologize. But the season of Lent is a time to walk with Jesus to the cross. And so all of the readings of the season of Lent are focused on how the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, how that points us to the cross of Jesus and prepares us to actually die with Christ, because that is what happens when we are baptized with Christ. We die with him, and we come to new life in him by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, Easter is the culmination of Lent. That's when we celebrate that Jesus entered our death, and death swallowed him, but it couldn't hold him down. Death could not hold him. In fact, He overcame death. He swallowed up death in victory and therefore we have life forever in him. And just a quick comment about that. Nobody else in in human history has been raised by their own power. Many people have been raised from the dead in human history. But Jesus Christ alone entered death and then simply by the power of God overcame death and is now free from the limitations of death. Every, every other person, uh, and there are, there are stories you know, in, in our time as well as stories in the Bible, every other person who died and then was raised back to life again, then died again and is still awaiting the final resurrection. But Jesus Christ has entered into that final resurrection already. Death has no hold over him whatsoever. And so Easter is a phenomenal feast. This is the victory. This is the life of the world in Jesus Christ. This is the time to celebrate and to live with the joy of Easter, to know that we do not need to live with fear. We do not need to live with shame. We do not need to live under a burden of guilt for Jesus Christ died and rose again. And therefore we have forgiveness of sins. We have uh, honor before that, our heavenly father. We have life forevermore because of Jesus Christ, our Lord and savior. Praise be to God, and so Easter is this 50-day or seven-week festival where we just are going to we are going to celebrate the joy of being in communion or relationship with Jesus Christ, and uh, we're going to go through the Book of 1 John for the whole feast of Easter, from now until early I guess the middle of May, early May, and then I, and then we're going to hit the feast of Pentecost when we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's people, the Church. And then we enter into the time when we are called to live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, lives uh, filled with the grace and the mission of God. We're called to live in Jesus. And that whole season, from Pentecost up until Advent again, is called Kingdom Tide, the time when we live in the kingdom of God. And then we start the year again, remembering that Jesus is going to come again, and remembering his first coming. So that's why we, that's how we choose the scriptures here at Mosaic. And so sometimes we do uh, book studies if the lectionary lines up with that and if Gloria discerns that. And, and I have, as pastor, I do have the freedom to change the, uh, to, to change the topic as the spirit leads me. Um, but I wanted you to be aware of that so that you can join in with us. And uh, if you're on our email list, you received a link to a short video put together by The Bible Project that is an introduction to the book of 1 John. They do a great job of summarizing the big ideas of all these biblical books. And so if you can listen really fast to English, which I can't actually, they talk fast on The Bible Project videos. But if you can catch it or watch it a few times, you'll learn a lot about the book of, of 1 John. And uh, just by way of introduction to that book, let me say this. First uh, John is unique among the books of the New Testament because it, a lot of the New Testament is either uh, stories, the stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the stories of, of, uh, of the early church in the book of Acts. So they're narratives or they're letters like Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, and all the rest. Then you've got the book of Revelation at the end, which is what we call an apocalypse or a a revelation, um, which is its own kind of really remarkable literature. And then you've got the book of 1 John, which is not a letter. It's not an apocalypse. It's just written. Just written. And so some scholars have said that this was potentially like a general teaching tool that was written up to circulate among the churches of the time so that Christians from many churches would have a resource for knowing the truth about Jesus and how to live in the truth of Jesus. And it's really important and you'll see this if you if you watch the Bible Project video. It's really important to understand that the that almost all of the New Testament was written in contexts of conflict. Now, context of conflict means these letters were written at times when people were fighting with each other, when there was disagreement, there was hurt being caused in the church. There was controversy. People with lots of different ideas about God were were disputing with one another. And the early followers of Jesus, the people that we call apostles, who walked with Jesus, who touched him, who ate with him, and who encountered him in powerful ways, and who were um, filled with the Holy Spirit, these people loved the churches that had begun. And they wrote letters because of their love for their brothers and sisters. And this, this it's not really a letter, but the, this book of 1 John, you can see the love that, is, that comes through from the author to the author's audience. I mean, the guy calls the, the people that he's writing to, you know, my, my, my dear children. Um, he calls them uh, beloved. And these are very Jewish kinds of ways of relating to people, but you can feel the longing of the author of 1 John for the well-being of the people that he's writing to. And in fact, if I could get uh, the first slide up, uh, 1 John 1.1, let's just look at the intense longing that's right here. Let's look at what he says just to begin. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So, do you catch the reason why this was written? There's a couple of key phrases. If you look at the third last line, the third line from the bottom, you see the two words, so that, right? And if you start with the little three, verse three, it says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then verse four, we write this to make our joy complete, to make. That's a purpose statement. So there are two purposes that the author is communicating, saying, "I'm this is why I'm writing to you. This is why we are communicating with you right now." Number one, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Number two, to make our joy complete. Now we do not use the word fellowship very much. Um, if if you have. Uh, acquaintances or family members who are doctors or who uh, work in universities, then we use the word fellowship there to talk about, you know, um, job opportunities that they have for more training and for further research. They get a fellowship. Not really easily connected to this. I mean, it's kind of related, but not not supernaturally, not very naturally. Fellowship, I mean, you might think about uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, the, the stories, if you're familiar with that, the Fellowship of the Ring, that's getting a bit closer. Um, Fellowship talks about, it communicates deep friendship, it communicates deep belonging together, it communicates that we are of one heart and one mind, and we, we belong to each other in some ways closer than a biological family. Fellowship talks about another word that, again, we don't use very much, but I love this word. The word is communion, common union, to be one together, have a common purpose, a common heart, a common spirit, a common common embrace, communion. The, The writer wants his audience, the people who are receiving this, these people who are in conflict, to experience communion, fellowship, friendship, peace together, to be able to eat around the table knowing that they're at home with each other. It's this longing, like I was saying. There's a longing for the well-being of the people that they're writing to, this, this fellowship, this communion. But it's not just communion. It's not just about being together. It's actually that if that communion, if that fellowship grows, then the author's joy will then be made complete. And that, I think, I want to stop and think about that. Because the author is saying, I'm writing to, I'm writing this message to you so that I can be happy, so that we can be happy. We want to be happy, but we can only be happy if you're with us. Now, I don't know if there's anything more romantic than that, right? I mean, and I mean romance in like the biggest possible way. I mean, I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about, you know, um, You know, uh, people who are dating, and then somebody, you know, popping the question. Although it's definitely there. I mean, there's this love in friendship that says, "Hey, you know what? I want you to be well, and I want to be with you. And frankly, I want to be with you because I'm so much happier when we're together. And when we're together, our joy multiplies. There's no actual limit to joy, right? And so the authors are saying, like, we are writing to you so that we all can be together in God. And that is going to bring us so much joy. Now, I want to point out that that joyful communion, that joyful communion originates with God. The joyful communion that this author is trying to pursue by writing this letter it originates with Jesus Christ. So we, you and I, are called to joyful communion with one another in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to joyful communion in Jesus Christ. And so this Easter season for us, as we go through this letter, is about experiencing joyful communion with our Lord Jesus Christ and with one another. I want, I want that. I want that with you. And I want God to set us free to experience it together. I want that joyful communion in Jesus Christ with God and with you. And so where would 1 John guide us if we wanted to grow in this joyful communion? Well, actually, it's right here on this page. Nope, not the first one. Notice that the joyful communion actually originates with God. It originates, and and, and the author, who we call the elder, by the way, Uh, John the Elder. Um, John the Elder says that this communion, this fellowship, this life, he had tasted it, he had seen it, he had heard it, he had touched it because that life appeared in Jesus Christ, as we have just confessed, when we confessed the faith of the church in the words of the Nicene Creed. So what the author is saying is that when Jesus Christ died and rose again, uh, they touched risen Savior. They touched life itself in Jesus Christ. Our joyful communion with Jesus Christ begins with our experience of the risen Christ. And so this Easter season, friends, let me call you to pursue, to open your life up, to experience the risen Jesus, to experience Jesus Christ crucified and raised to life again. Because that Is the source of our communion, as the as, as as the elders said, what we have tasted and seen for ourselves. This is what we proclaim. We have experienced the risen Jesus, face to face. We touched him. We talked with him. We ate with him. We saw him after he had died and risen from the dead. We saw him eat. He was bodily resurrected. He was alive forevermore. We saw it. We touched it. It was tactile. And that was God in the flesh. And that is the source of our fellowship with God and with you. And so I want to ask you, I want to call you to pursue experiences of the risen Jesus this Easter season. Now, how do you do that? First of all, a couple of ground rules the risen Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, he is completely free. There's nothing that binds the Lord Jesus anymore. He is free from all limitation. He is exalted to the Father's right hand. He is eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. He is free, which means you and I can't control him. We cannot control the risen Christ. So how on earth are we to experience somebody who we can't see or touch? Well, The beautiful thing is that the life appeared. God takes the initiative with you and me. Not that we discovered him. Not that we persuaded God to come and rescue us. No, (laughs) good golly, that's not what happened. God came after us. God wants us to experience the risen Jesus. And so all we need to do is open our lives up to him. And so you begin with a prayer. Jesus, I want to experience you alive. Speak it out to him. He's alive. He can hear you. He's he's here. Speak it out. Jesus, I want to experience your resurrection life. You can just start there. And then see what happens. Pay attention. Because what will happen is that as Jesus shows you himself, as Jesus' resurrection power enters into your life, you will notice changes. You will notice that things that are connected with death become less attractive to you. You'll notice that things that are self-protective, motivated by fear, oh man, you don't want that, those things to control you anymore. You'll notice that that Jesus is actually present to you, and it's a risk. I don't, I, I don't know what he will do for you, but I know that he does this all over the world, throughout history. He shows up alive in people's lives, and then you've got our You've got to interact with him. Now, the other thing to do is to read the scriptures. And I, w- I really want to call you to uh, to read through 1 John with the church multiple times through the course of Easter. Listen to it. It only takes maybe, I don't know, I think I listened to 1 John in the shower this week. I have short showers. You don't need to know that about me. It's too much information. I'm sorry. But uh, I did. And it's short. So you can listen to it in a 10 minute, 15 minute kind of time frame. And so spend time listening to it. Spend time meditating on it. Spend time just letting it provoke you and then responding. Take time to maybe journal, write about it. But be in the scriptures because the scriptures are God's way of revealing God's self to us. Jesus shows up when we read the scriptures and we say, hey, Jesus, I wanna know you. He says, okay, and he comes and talks. So read the scriptures. The other thing, though, is, you know, many of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And you do know that he's alive. And you're you're past kind of the rush of the first time or the first five times or the first 20 times that you really experienced the life of Jesus. And so for some of us, this invitation to to enter into the joy of communion with God and Jesus Christ this Easter, to experience the resurrection power of Jesus, it actually might be more challenging if we've been walking with Jesus a long time and he feels further away or it feels like it's less splashy than what it sounds like when it comes out of my mouth. And to you, I want to say, Jesus knows. He knows you. He knows what your heart needs right now. He knows where hopelessness, despair, where the experiences of life have bred cynicism, or where there's just pain. And and he knows the risk that you take when you say to him, yes, even in my pain, even with my wounds, I want to know your resurrection life, Lord Jesus. And I want a new experience of you living in my life. He knows the risk that you're taking. And Jesus always rewards faith. Jesus does not look at you and me and say, oh man, that pain that you went through in your life, that has crippled you and you will ever be a cripple. That is not the word of our Lord Jesus Christ to you and me. He says to you and me, I know the pain that you carry. And by my stripes, by my wounds, there is healing. And yeah, that healing will come in the resurrection, absolutely. But there's a way to commune with Him that He might be offering you in this season that will will lead you to an experience of His resurrection life in ways that you need right now. And my prayer is that you will know you know, like everybody who encountered Jesus in the Gospels, that he sees your faith. That he sees your faith. And that he richly rewards those who believe in him and obey him. So we want to focus on uh, experiences of the living Jesus this Easter season. The second thing is to follow the example of John the Elder, which is to look at what he does, right? He says... Um, We tasted, sorry, he doesn't say taste. I'm just saying taste because we're going to come and have communion and we we know that Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. And so, and there's a scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I mean like the full experience of God. So they, they touched Jesus themselves. They heard him, they saw him, they gazed at him with their eyes, they beheld the risen Lord. But look at what they did next. Because God revealed himself to them They bore witness. They testify. You see that right in the middle of the page? This is like the fourth line, the word testify. It says, The life appeared. We have seen it. And we testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. And so that's the second thing that I want to call us as a church to. I want to call you to tell people about your experiences of the living Jesus. I want to call you to testify. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a judge, you know? It's not like, you know, I can give you a subpoena and now you are compelled by law to come and testify about Jesus. It's actually, you, you are free. You are free to speak or not to speak, of course, as I am free to speak or not to speak. But friends, when we taste the eternal life of Jesus, I mean, the scriptures are, are just the movement of God in people who could not keep their mouths shut about him, right? He is alive. This is the life that has brought forth this whole world. It has been made known to us. It is good news for every human being because all people born on the face of this planet were created in the image of God and are made whole in the image of God, which is Jesus Christ. And all people in this, on, on the face of the earth were born under the shadow of death. And so Jesus has set all people out, like, His salvation is available to all people who are subject to death, which is everybody. There is freedom for all in Jesus Christ. So these guys couldn't shut their mouths about it. They had to go and tell people. And they were compelled by the love of God to do it. So I want to ask you, I want to call you as a church to testify, to share the life of Jesus, your experience with Jesus, with other people. You know, sometimes we... When when, when when we think about speaking of Jesus uh, we get nervous but I want to remind you again that this letter is totally motivated by love and by concern for the for the joy and well-being of other people for the fellowship the communion to expand this 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 movement to testify about Jesus is actually how joyful communion grows as other people discover the treasure with us you know there are like classic, classic stories about this, right? One of them is uh, well-known by a, a not-so-young man now uh, named Shane Claiborne, who was down in some hot place visiting, you know, some orphans, I think. Or, some, like, there were some, some kids who were experiencing a lot of poverty and deprivation in their lives. And, um, and, and he tells the story about how uh, they gave one of the kids an ice cream cone. This kid had one ice cream cone. There was no more ice cream for some reason. And so what did that kid do? He's there with a group of friends and he has an ice cream cone. Well, he put it in front of the face of his friend and his friend went, licked it. And he went to the next friend. Next friend, licked it. Went to the next friend, licked it. Went to the next friend. The whole group shared the ice cream cone. Why? Because when you've got something that's as good as an ice cream cone on a hot day and you're the only one with it, you share it with everybody. That's how the joyful communion grows. It's so good. And friends, I want to say, I believe God is already doing this among us as a church. I want to tell you three, two stories. One is, two weeks ago, on Palm Sunday, uh, well, Palm Saturday, uh, Saturday the 27th of March, uh, Pastor James Queck was hosting a, a meeting for the uh, South Sudanese pastors network that he's a part of, right? And they were at Hillside Church. And as it, you, as anybody would expect, that meeting went long. That's just how it's going to flow, right? And, um, and Pastor James, I think he felt a little bit bad about that, knowing that, you know, Canadian dominant culture, we like things to run on time. But he was expecting a lot of stress, right? That we would be experiencing a lot of stress. And to be honest, I was a bit concerned about the stress that we might experience too. But our worship team showed up that night. And here's people in the space where we need to practice. And our worship leaders just set up in the lobby and ran our, our team prayer time and sharing time right there in the lobby. And then we set up afterwards, and our worship leaders were calm, smooth, easy going. And there was no stress. In fact, I was probably the most stressed, and I forget why it was. I think there was one song that I was having a hard time with. But our worship leader, Corey, that night was just peaceful, gracious, and open. And there was a spirit of joy in the place that night. And then last night, or last last week, we're here in the portable trying to deal with lockdown. And wouldn't you know it, Gloria, Corey, Dada, they're all here with Andrew and Berket making sure that we don't break... COVID protocols, but there's a spirit of joy in this portable, because God has given this, this worship team of ours joyful communion in Jesus Christ. You guys have built that together. And what that means is that like we, we love entering into worship together. We experience the presence and the power of God because of the joy and peace that our worship leaders are walking in together. And they choose that. They choose that by cultivating good relationship with one another, and there's joy. Second story. Um, the next day, so this is Palm Sunday, March twenty eighth. We had the garbage pickup here in, um, or the neighborhood cleanup day here in northeast London. Now, uh, you you got to know, I, I, I the privilege of being a pastor is that I get to see things behind the scenes, right? I get to be in conversations with a lot of you to figure out, you know, what's on your heart? What passions do you have? And how can you live that out? These convictions that God has given you, how do you live that out? And I, I love doing that. That's a privilege for me. So I knew the passion and the joy that our community development action group um, had been had been planning with. And I was like, all right, cool. Like, I hope this goes well. I really want it to be, uh, to be a win, if you will. Right? I want it to go well. Well, my family and I showed up over at Huron, um, over at Crunch Fitness on H- Huron, close to Highbury, and uh, we showed up, and we were a bit late. And Brother Leroy, who was uh, hosting us tonight, he was there with Taffy, and then our friends Sarah and Al showed up, and um, we went in the wickedest wind. It was it was crazy, windy and cold, and we walked around, and everybody was filled with joy. There was laughter. There was joking around. There was energy. There was no complaining about the, the, the weather or about how much garbage or any of that. It was just, this is joyful. This is good. And you got to know what a miracle that is because on Sundays, that's, that's like my Saturday. For those of you who work Monday to Friday, Sundays are my, my first day off. So I'm usually extremely tired on, on Sundays. And here I am with my family in the van afterward. And our girls are saying, Hey, we should do that like every month. That was really fun. I'm like, that's amazing. That's amazing. And when I talked to to Marcy and to Taffy later on, turns out the other sites also had this joy among them. There was this joy, this, this joyful communion that we experienced when we loved this neighborhood together. Because Jesus is alive. He really is alive. And he's alive in you. He's alive in us. And when we choose to obey him, We enter into that communal joy. So I believe God is already doing this in us as a church. I believe that he wants us to grow in communal joy, this communion of joy with Jesus Christ. Last thing. Can you go to the next page? Um, The last thing. So we want to focus on the experience of the risen Christ. We want to focus on sharing the story, writing letters. It might be that you write notes to the people just to tell them how much you love them and you're praying for them and Jesus is alive, he loves them, whatever. We want to share our experiences of the risen Christ with others. The third thing that will help us experience this joyful communion with Jesus is confession. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details about how this part of the, of, of the passage is organized, but let me just say this. In John's community, some people were saying, we know God. We know God. Absolutely, we know God. Our lives are free from sin because, you know what, we've totally entered into the beautiful realm of Jesus Christ. We're free from sin. And John is very clear. He says, if anybody anybody tries to, to say that, you need to look at their life. And if they say that they're without sin, and then you look at the way that they are jerks, the way that they are rude, the way that they are... Stuck up, the way that they are hurting other people, they are liars. But I want you to notice that he doesn't speak about other people the way that I just did. Because I said the word they. If they do that, then they are liars. Notice that John doesn't say that. John says, if we claim, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, then we lie and do not live out the truth. You see, when we actually encounter the risen Jesus, Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead, we are the ones who come face to face with all the ways that we are trapped in our own sin, in our own shame, grief, death. We see our own shortcomings. And... We know that God offers us this eternal, beautiful joy, but we know that there are barriers to that fellowship. There are barriers to that communion. We all fall short of loving other people the way that God loves them. We all fall short of seeking justice the way that God embodies justice in Jesus Christ. We all fall short. And I I think it's instructive to us that, that that, that John the Elder does not say, Don't be like those people. He says, look at ourselves. If we claim to have fellowship with him, then we need to walk the way that he walks. And that's why it's so important for him to say, actually, we need to confess that we do not walk the way that he walks. Notice that he says this. If we walk in the light, so so God is light, and if we are walking in God's light, then we have fellowship, this communion with one another. But look, it, it's possible because the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. It's not that we have this communion by, become, by, by being perfect on our own. Not at all. It's that the communion, this communion, this fellowship happens when we admit our shortcomings and we're honest with God about how much we fall short and we're honest with each other and say, I blow it and I'm sorry that's when we experience the forgiveness of God. And, 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 and check this out. I just think this is amazing. He says that he's writing to his community so that they won't sin, right? So the goal of our lives is to be totally free from sin in all, at all times. Absolutely, that's the goal. That is Jesus is taking us there. We're going to be free from sin in our experience. Like it'll be gone eventually, on, for most of us on the other side of our death and resurrection. But in the meantime, if we do sin, we have an advocate before the Father. That means we have somebody who is speaking on our behalf before God Himself. And we also have somebody who's speaking on our behalf before our community. And that is Jesus Christ, who gave His life as the atoning sacrifice for you and for me. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So friends, listen to this. When in this Easter season we are pursuing joyful communion with Jesus, when we confess the ways in which we fall short, the ways in which we break the communion, the way that we break down the friendships that God calls us to, when we confess that, there's no shame. Instead, that's when Jesus shows his power to unite us with one another and with god our father his blood has taken the or has covered our sin his death has taken our death his shame has taken our shame and so we don't shame each other we forgive each other and god does not stand there and say listen i'm not going to forgive you until you do xyz he says no i'm on the basis of jesus christ i forgive you you are forgiven if you confess your sins god is faithful god is just he will forgive you your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. And that's the promise to me as well. Praise God. So I want to ask you to, to practice confession this Easter season, to tell the truth about the ways in which you fail to love God and to love other people. And that might, that how do you confess? Well, how do you do that? Let's talk about that really practically. Number one, open your mouth and tell God the truth. Just tell him. Number two, ask him to forgive you. That's it. He will. Now, there are other things you can do, right? When you you are burdened by sin and you know that you're trapped, you can go to other people who know Jesus and say, I'm really stuck. And there's a beautiful, powerful, amazing thing that happens when we confess our sins to one another and when I confess my sins to somebody else and they meet me with the joy and the grace and the forgiveness of God, and we're still good. They don't change their opinion of me. They don't shame me afterward. I experience the power of God's forgiveness. And when, and when somebody else meets me in, in that way and they pray for me, then there's a powerful experience of God's forgiveness that we enter together. And it's good and it's worth it. In fact, tonight we are going to try something that we haven't done too much at Mosaic. We're going to open up what's called a breakout room so that if you would like to practice this confession, if there's something about that that God is stirring in your heart and you want to confess to God uh, some area of your life where you need forgiveness, where you need to experience the resurrection life of Jesus, then what you can do is you can just put up your hand. Now, don't put it up this way, but you can... Click on the Reactions icon at the bottom of your screen, and you can put up a hand like this. And if you do that, then Andrew Cottrell will see that, and then he will connect you with the breakout room. He'll put you in a breakout room with Diane and Abby, who are our prayer ministers tonight. And um, so at any time from now, from now until the end of the, the meeting, uh, you can put your hand up if you would like to pray with Diane and Abby, if there's anything on your heart you need to confess, or if you want to just actually have somebody agree with you when you say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to experience your resurrection life. It's all good, okay? So, as we pursue joyful communion through this Easter season, joyful communion with God, joyful communion with one another in Jesus Christ, we want to focus on the experience of the risen Jesus. We want to share that experience with other people. And we want to confess our sins to God and receive his forgiveness and purification. I'm really excited to follow the book of 1 John uh, with you for the next few weeks. I'm excited to pursue this joyful communion with Christ with you in the next couple weeks as well. Let's take some time and pray. So Lord Jesus, as we... Take a moment of silence and quiet. I thank you that you're with us. I pray that you would speak to each person where they are. Lord Jesus, would you give us new experiences of your resurrection life now in this Easter season? We need that from you. I need that from you. We need that from you, Lord Jesus. Would you free our tongues? Free our pens, free our fingers to type, to share the 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 experience of you that we have with others. And Lord Jesus, we welcome your conviction, the conviction of your Holy Spirit. We welcome your light to shine on us, to show us the places of darkness in our own hearts where we need your forgiveness and we need your purification. We need you to make us right. Come and speak we ask in your name amen you have been listening to a sermon podcast from mosaic intercultural church in london ontario canada my name is andrew karam and i want to thank you for joining us if you want to find out more about mosaic and about the work that we do please check us out online at www.mosaicchurchlondon.com